Hello and welcome to This Is Your Life Path, a podcast where I sit down with tabletop game designers and we have a chat about all of the things that have influenced and inspired them away from the tabletop world. I'm your host Kayla, I'm a game designer myself and I publish as Ratwave Game House. I do games all about connection and alienation. Games like Follow Me in the Night, A Cursed Radio, a solo journaling and playlist making game about self-exploration, music, magic, and pain. Now to jump into the episode and introduce today's guest. Hello, my guest today is a game maker with a verifiable treasure trove of games released as Roll Flip Draw, and a theatre maker in the interactive space who recently did uh, multiple showings of a show called The Shield and Torch, which was a sort of melding of interactive theatre with elements of sort of adventure stories, right? Um, and I should say your name. How do I pronounce your name? I realised I was going to ask this before we started recording, and then I didn't. That's that's fine. Um, it's just Chloe Mashita. It's Mashita. very much, I mean, in my brain, it's just, you say it how it's spelled. But that's as someone who, you know, has, it, it's been my name my whole life. So of course I think you say it how it's spelled. That is, to be fair, what I would have gone for. I was just suddenly like, I'm going to look like a twat if I go and then you're like, no, it's Mashita or something. That's weirdly, that's, yeah, a lot of people, Mashita, Mashita, etc. It's always, it, it's the shit slap bang <laughs> in the middle of the surname. that seems to throw It worries people. They don't know what to do with it. Mm. How are you doing today? All right. It's it's one of my days off. I've I've been doing just all of the boring things, but the boring good things. So like buying food and doing laundry and trying to do the things that are taking care of yourself but in a very like admin-based fashion. Yeah, the sort of the recuperation part of rest and recuperation, which isn't always restful. Yes. Precisely. How, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm on holiday while I'm recording. I say holiday. I, I'm on half term, so I'm mm-hmm. I am very much in my flat, um, doing the same things I ordinarily do after work, but just I didn't have a work to go to first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're I guess gonna dive into I was about to say your backstory which I'm like that's such a weird way to talk about real people my origin story <laughs> yes when were you bitten <laughs> by a radioactive game designer slash theater maker <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no um first we both live in London but did you grow up in London or did you move here I moved here uh I I grew up in Norwich in Norfolk and that was like, I was born there. I lived there for like the first 19 years of my life. Um, and then after university, a few different coincidences meant that I moved down to London to work on theatre things. And for the most, for the, the fair chunk of the last decade or so, aside from some stints in Plymouth and Southampton, uh, I've been living and working in London. Ah, oh, cool, cool. So, did, wait, did you just say you studied in Norwich as well before coming up? Or did I no, hear something? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a genuine tick I have that I will say I've gone to uni and I won't say where I'll skirt over it. So I went to uni in Cambridge 
um and people who like work in theater who went to cambridge are, like there is a very specific type and <laughs> disproportionately way too many of us around and things like that and also sometimes you meet people who really show off about having gone there and it's like give it a rest um but yes, I, I grew up in Norwich, Union Cambridge, then most of the time since then has been in London. Cool, yeah. What's Norwich like to grow up in? Like, is it? I personally love it. Like, I... I'm a big fan of Norwich. I'm not one of those people who kind of grows up, goes to Union. It's like, ah, screw my hometown. It sucks. <laughs> um, like, I really like it because it's, you know, it's a city, but obviously it's nothing like the scale of Norwich. Uh, it's nothing like the scale of London. Um, the center of town is all like pedestrianized. It has different uh, laws about busking. So you get a lot more buskers just out on the street, some of whom have weird cult status, like there'll be Facebook groups kind of dedicated to, you know, the guy with the puppets and stuff like that. Um, Puppet busking. That's sick. Yeah, that was a big, the the puppet man, (laughs) which sounds kind of sinister. (laughs) <laughs> but it wasn't. It was a, a popular, like, odd feature of Norwich when I was a teenager. And then you have the marketplace um, in the centre of town, which is just such a lovely kind of hub of different food places. And it's it's the odd mix of the places that have been there for, like, 20, 30 years that just sell different types of vacuum bags. And then the places that are, like, vegan pulled pork stalls and stuff. Um it's it's a I think it's a really nice place to grow up in because it's kind of small enough that it still feels homely. It's quite picturesque in parts. There are bits of it that are very popular as film sets because it's got that kind of medieval cobbled street vibe. But it's big enough that there's enough stuff to do. Like you're mm. not just kind of kicking around a bus stop or something. You can actually do things. Um, and I really I yeah I really really like Norwich. I don't tend to visit that much um just due to kind of like work and stuff but when I do I really enjoy going back there yeah as someone I guess who has like a huge affection for the place you grew up but then is mainly making all theatre um in London and any other work you do do you often do you ever feel like you are bringing sort of elements or memories or experiences of your of your home to your work or is it not something that enters into your mind much? There's there's definitely some ways in which it's pretty explicit or deliberate. Um, like the, the Shield and Torch that you mentioned, that's the second project under like a kind of banner called Alongamy. Um, the previous one being a remote project in 2021 that was about people playing solo games, solo LARPs, etc. and all feeding in separately to like a core hub of world building together and also some streams that were opportunities for people remotely to all contribute to this one world building and um along me is taken from norfolk dialect because like i've made it all one word but it's along me which means like along with me with me um and that was a very deliberate thing where i was like i really love norfolk dialect and stuff like that so it's nice to include that i've got like some other games that i've made where they'll sometimes be like a table and it'll be there's there's one game that was part of a uh an advent calendar of me just making 
a game like every other day because I normally do like pretend advent calendars of just like throwing out ideas for 25 days and recently was that I did one this year's like, advent calendar or a previous year it, it was the most recent one the 2022 one um and one of those games was one that I I like play tested I was so ready to do it, it was like a bigger thing and I just kind of needed to get it out of my system as it were and that one is set in a very specific village in Norfolk that I knew quite well called Kleinex the Sea um it has like a fate table that is all based around norfolk dialect and stuff like that so that's very there's very like specific explicit stuff where there's an influence in terms of like anything that's more ephemeral i i don't know because i definitely like the community size of norwich and the kind of feel of it um that kind of mix of being like obviously like an urban city but so close to nature and being heavily pedestrianized and not feeling quite as kind of overwhelming as London but I'm not sure like what other ways that I'm I'm not clocking it might manifest in the stuff I make to be honest. Sure yeah it's it's one of those things where given it's you know the environment that surrounds you I'm like it's hard to be aware of what you've carried with you from that but that's really interesting answer. So when you were a, a young kid in Norwich. I don't know why I've started narrating this. <laughs> no, I love it. It's um, what What is it that you, like, what do you have, do you have much memories of knowing what you wanted to be when you were older? Or were you feeling things out the whole time? Oh, I, I, I can give you, like, a very specific. Uh, when I was four, I wanted to be a banana. Um, and when I was, like, seven to 14, I wanted to be an Egyptologist because I was, I was heavily into ancient Egypt, heavily into archaeology, loved the idea of like kind of uh, brushing away dirt from something and discovering something that changed how we understood the world. Um, but then from like kind of about 13, 14 onwards, it was theatre. Mm. It was like, I maybe I'm not going to be an actor, but I'd really like to be an actor. Because I think when you're a teenager, acting is the thing that you get to do at, at school or at after school club or something it's much more unlikely that you're kind of getting experience of what it's like to be a dramaturg or what it's like to be you know uh, a techie of some sort etc so basically from like early teens I wanted to be working in theatre um I, I I hadn't like played tabletop games or kind of games like that when I was that age, I'd only really played stuff like, it was kind of the stuff you play with your family. It was like Uno and things like that. Or one or two like murderous mystery box set nights with friends, basically. It was the closest I came to. Yeah, that is a role. sort of weird starter form almost of, of RPGs a lot. Like I feel yeah. a lot of people don't count that in their head when they're like, when did they first do stuff? Even though it is, I don't know, I guess it depends on how you do it. It often does involve playing a character. Oh, we, yeah, we were very much like, we're all going to get dressed up, we're going to do accents, really enjoy it. And actually, now I think back, there's um, when I was 11, and I kind of wish I still had this much energy, <laughs> and like the, this, the energy and conviction of an 11-year-old. Um, I convinced uh, the teachers at my school um, to give us, we, there were like two lessons every week that would kind of like, it would change every week what you would do. So they could kind of focus on different things or like try and fill in interesting stuff. Um, 
if it's not already obvious, private school. Um, <laughs> so I convinced my teachers to give us those two lessons one week for me and like seven other mates who I'd corralled to do a murder mystery because I was I was huge into Agatha Christie. I loved that stuff. And so ended up coordinating some with my friends where it was like a friend outside the classroom would scream. I would burst in wearing a trench coat with like a painted on moustache being like, there's been a murder and take everyone out of the classroom. And then we gathered the suspects in like the assembly hall. Whoever got it right, got a book token, very like late 90s. Did they have to justify it with like a denouncement though? Or they wouldn't get the book token? They they had to to do the kind of Paro sweet speech. They, it wasn't quite that grand. I hadn't, I hadn't grasped the staging of things that well yet. It was, you just handed in like your piece of paper that said who did it and why they did it. Um, so like that, that those kind of bits were the closest to like say the stuff that I do now. Weirdly, it feels like there is a bit of a full circle thing sometimes <laughs> from doing that stuff at eleven. Um, but yeah, all throughout my teens. And it became much more so towards my late teens. Uh, I wanted to be an actor. I applied to drama school. Didn't get into a single one of them. I tried really hard at like all the acting opportunities I could do. My sixth form teachers told me I was trying too hard at acting. Um, and that I would be better at other things in theatre. Um, yeah. And I... I that, was the, that was the big thing that I wanted to do, like... For, for a good chunk of my teenage years mm, like a real you know lifelong passion almost yeah ver- very much like I'm gonna do the school play I'm gonna buy scripts on the weekends and just like read scripts to better understand them I'm gonna do after school drama I'm gonna apply and do like a couple of weeks with National Youth Theatre um all of all of those kind of things to be like yeah I'm gonna I'm going to have a go and I'm going to really try to be an actor. Yeah, I um, wish I still had like the passion of like my 14-year-old self in terms of like deciding and like really like really trying to bullet point plan like how do I become this thing. Or as if as an adult I'm just like I'm just just floating around. Yeah. Yeah, I like I feel like part of it is when you're 14 that's potentially like so many so many decisions and so many choices are taken off your plate or like mm. are never even a thing you have to deal with so you can just be like well i'm gonna go full force at this choice point <laughs> um basically yeah that probably is a lot of it actually as well so i guess on that note like um you said you had the, like this introduction to theater did that mainly come through like the educational context you were in you think like teachers drama classes or did you have a sort of um, falling in love point that was outside of the classroom? I don't know if I can remember a specific falling in love point. Um, Like I'd always enjoyed performing. I'd always enjoyed to an extent staging things and like putting things on. I remember doing like mini village fates in my garden for my grandparents, like just, making Splat the Rat and like dart throw games and stuff and, and then like having them come in and, and go to the bric-a-brac stall and stuff um, and 
I'm not quite sure where some of it came from because like from a family context my parents would take us to the theatre normally for like big musicals because that's kind of what would be good for like a family of five um and so I saw like a lot of musicals growing up and I remember that I really enjoyed them like I remember asking to go to one for my 13th birthday and that was like a really big treat um and then obviously I got introduced to some bits and pieces through school there's a company called Theatre Delicatessen who uh both like provide spaces for people but kind of started out um doing site-specific shows and I'm pretty sure I saw like their first show on a school trip to London when I was like in sixth form Um, and so it's the kind of thing where you're like in sixth form and you see Midsummer Night's Dream done across different rooms in an office block and you're like ah I've not seen something like this before um yeah I think it kind of came from that because Norwich has an interesting theatre scene I mean it has like a big theatre royal and then it has a couple of smaller places it's got like the playhouse which is often a lot more comedy stuff that does some uh kind of more theatrical bits and then the Madame Market Theatre which is an old almost medievalish, I think theatre and then it's got the puppet theatre which is I think I hope it still exists I haven't checked and I do remember oh. going on a protest march to raise money for it because it had like I think it had a load of Arts Council funding cut when I was about 16, 17. And so yeah. there was a, an awareness march through Norwich where like half of the marches were just life-size puppets that people were carrying. <laughs> um, I remember trying to like get my friends to come and talk to everyone else at school who like liked drama and no one else would come. So I went to this protest march. It was my first protest march. Um, Surrounded about, by puppets. Like, yeah, I think it's yeah, one of different, two... very different expectations for your second protest marks march. Like, <laughs> like where's all the puppets? Yeah, very different vibes. Um, but yeah, I, I think it like it, it had had all funny cut. It's like one of two dedicated puppet theaters in the entire country. Um, I hope that is still around. Then a mysterious funder stepped in and saved it, and it was like, oh. yay! Cause I remember seeing some bizarre but beautiful things there. Um, so I think like the general context of Norwich probably helps. My mum has always been into theatre and probably enjoyed having me as like someone who would be willing to go see stuff with her. Um, and then, yeah, it was always just fun doing stuff with the the Theatre Royal Saturday classes, getting introduced to new plays. And there's also the Norwich and Norfolk Festival which I remember it would be like, oh, there's suddenly shipping containers in the middle of town that you could go into and do like a one-on-one interesting experience for a bit. So I think it probably, a lot of it probably emerged from stuff like that, to be honest. That makes sense. Yeah, like just that sort of immersion and constant exposure. I remember Theatre Delhi is actually where um, I did like two wrestling shows um, in one of their venues before they closed down. (laughs) But so on that note, when were you first introduced to sort of like tabletop or live action, like role playing games? And in the context they were introduced to you, did you immediately sort of grasp this connection to to theatre in that area? Or is that something that you feel you brought to that later? So I think my first introduction 
which is always interesting, especially if people's first introduction is through like media. I feel like it's really telling like which bit of media um, is their thing. And for me, it's the community Dungeons and Dragons episode. I know there's multiple ones, but it's the first one was my first introduction. Um, And that was obviously really interesting because I'd heard of Dungeons and Dragons before. I, I have a very specific memory, which is going to the old Dungeons and Dragons movie, like back in 2002 or 2001, maybe. Um, but going because it was a, like a 12 certificate and I was 11 and I was like, ooh. Um, ooh I'm going to get away like, with something. I know. Look at me. I'm such a, I'm so cool. Um, and so I obviously had an awareness of Dungeons and Dragons before that but I think that was the first time I remember watching that episode and a big part of the episode is how um, the character Neil has a massive sword like his character has this huge sword that's like a family relic and Pierce uh, steals it from him and wipes his butt with it and is really disrespectful and everyone else is like stop doing this and I remember watching that episode and being like okay but how can that I don't get how that can be so important because it's like a thing that you've made up in this game and you say that it's like a family heirloom and you worked really hard to get it, but I can't process how, what you mean of working really hard to get it. What did you just like say that your character worked hard to get it? I don't, I can't understand the value of this imaginary item in this context because it's people around the table and stuff. However, obviously after starting to play it, I understand how, things do like there are things you can slowly work towards in game where it might not be the same amount of time or effort that your character's putting in but it is like it's a process and I can now look back at the episode and be like oh I totally understand like the relationship that both Neil and Neil's in game character would have had to that thing and how it would have taken time to get that sword and why it's an achievement and how it's important um so yeah, that was my first introduction. And through that, I remember looking at things like Harmon Quest and starting to like dip into bits and pieces of actual plays to get a bit of a sense of stuff. And it was maybe, gosh, like a few months after that, that I was like, oh, okay, I want to stage this at Edinburgh Fringe. I guess I'm going to have to play it so that I understand <laughs> it in order to stage it. My, my approach was com- initially completely... I'm playing D&D so that I know how to stage it. Right, um, yes. Rather than I'm just going to play this because I want to play it. So was it trying to engage with D&D on this idea of staging it and then thinking of the challenges of staging it? Is that what sort of first got you into game design? I think so. Because before then I'd had like experience of bits of game design because of through interactive and immersive theater which is what I'd mainly been working in I mean I've been working in that for like five years or so by the time I got introduced to tabletop games and I I know I'm kind of blurring tabletop games and D&D my introduction was like many people's via D&D um and whilst I've been working in immersive and interactive theatre, at times that was people who like ran their own street gaming companies um, or puzzle gaming things or, you know, people would refer to certain things that we were getting audience members to do in shows as quests or things like that. 
so there was kind of always like a background of game design bits and pieces um but as part of performance stuff or like the same vocabulary being used in different ways etc and so in like the most kind of deliberate concerted way yeah prepping a D game for staging it over the course of a month was like my introduction to game design and to go how are we going to do this because we're going to simplify the character sheets because if someone's sitting down for an hour this character sheet is massive and has stuff that's going to be intimidating and not useful so it was also going okay there's there's this way of playing D, and then what do we have to shift and what are we changing about that in order to play the game of D that we're going to play for the the staged version um so there was a lot of stuff about how are we gonna induct new players into this because we were selling tickets so that people could watch the game but also so that people could play um so and the also, audience was also participants in the game. Was that? Yeah, basically, people could either buy a ticket to just watch, um, or they could watch it on a live stream as well if they like weren't in Edinburgh, um, or they could buy tickets to play. And some people would buy tickets to watch, and then after doing that, they'd buy tickets to play so they could hop on after they understood what was going on. Some people just watched, though. There was a lot of like talking to the audience and back and forth and sometimes there'd be some suggestions um or people would just like buy tickets to play there was a really interesting mix of you know you'd have forever dms playing on stage whilst their groups of players watch them in the audience because that was a really fun dynamic for them to like witness you had families where it was like a dad who'd played first edition with a kid who'd never played before like playing together on stage um you had like teenagers with their families in the audience, like showing their family what their hobby, the thing they were into was. Ah. Uh, it was a really interesting like mix of seeing lots of different people. I think someone came on, on their birthday, which was such a lovely thing. Um, but because we were kind of trying to accommodate people that had potentially played it for years and people who'd never played it before, that informed a lot of, the design of the event as it were and how we were approaching the game yeah so obviously i assume there is a case of always simplifying things so an audience member can grasp it quickly if they have no background but also it needs to be recognizable enough that someone with all of that experience um is not having to do too much conversion was that kind of the challenge there yeah it's it's kind of going you need to give someone who knows D&D what they're expecting, but you also need to support someone who has no idea what to expect. Yeah, and it's completely difficult to anticipate beforehand going into planning what your audience would actually be, and it sounds like it was hugely varied. Yeah, it was. it felt pretty varied in terms of, like, age, gender um like experience of games things like that i'll be very blunt one of the ways in which i'm not pointing out is like ethnicity or race because i will be very open it wasn't uh for various reasons um including like the general context of people who are up at the fringe also people who are going to 
look at a D&D themed event and go, that is for me. Um, especially because it was our first time doing it and the team behind it was all white. So obviously the kind of space that that suggests is only going to immediately feel safe to a lot of people, for, to a certain bracket of people. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting seeing the scope of different people um, get involved in the game. And it was it was really lovely because for a lot of people, I think it was the thing of, on the one hand, tabletop games are something with a low barrier to entry because it's sit around a table or sit at a computer screen on a Zoom call and say things with friends. Um, on the other hand, it's, okay, so you've got this book here that's 100 pages, this one here that's 150, which you don't need to read. But to be honest, even though someone else is responsible for reading it, you'll have a better understanding if you do read that book. And then also uh, get ready to like spend at least six hours on your first thing while you're setting everything up. And then, well, you might want to write up a backstory if you can't, like all that stuff. Um, and for, for a lot of people, it was like a nice way of dipping their toe in and being like, yeah, cool. I'll just do this for an hour and I'll get a sense of what it is, which I think was, appealing to to a variety of people so from then that's obviously like designing in the space of performing uh do you remember when you first uh published one of your own games um i don't remember exactly when it was um i want to say it it must have been like mid 2019 um I remember it was called Bound. There's like a, an updated, slightly tidied version, I think maybe still on my itch page. Um, and it was made for a very specific jam. I can't remember what game jam it was made for, but it was like, I need a deadline, um, basically. And that was the first one that I made, but I kind of made it and just like put it there just as a, okay, I've done a thing. because. Um, the idea of doing anything more with it like telling people that it existed or like trying to make any money from itch or things like that just seems like quite a big thing and I remember the reason I know it must have been mid-2019 is because at the end of 2019 I was at um uh tabletop live I think that was the name of the like the con um Alex Manchester it was it was one in Alexandra Palace. It was the it was the magazine. Oh. oh yes, I've never been, but I know the magazine. Yeah, I'm like, I I it's the only time I've been to it, and I had the very very good fortune there to have a coffee with Matt Hamilton, who's one of the folks that runs Roan Brick and Deckard, and Maz. Uh, has been amazing on multiple occasions of like talking to me uh, because they're someone who has a lot of experience uh, as it happens with like kind of the live gaming side of things that I do, but also the like tabletop and the publishing and the kind of nuts and bolts of a business stuff. And Maz basically amongst various other things kind of gave me the permission that I needed to just, make the itch page and 
do the thing and start publishing games. Um, and so it was only in like late 2019 that I started publishing things with a view to telling people <laughs> about games that I'd made, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Would you want to talk about Bound and what that was a bit more? I can talk about it a bit. I don't remember it hugely. Um, I remember doing like one play of it after I'd published it. Um, I know that the conceit is that you're all playing a group of people. In a, you're playing a group of people in a situation. Um, <laughs> it's to do with curses. I know that it's card based because you're kind of drawing cards and it's whether you can pass on a curse to someone else, etc., or whether you can defeat the curse before dawn. Um, so it's, it's kind of location agnostic because it can be you're in a Western and you're all in the jailhouse and you've got to find a way to escape before dawn. Or it can be it's a cyberpunk dystopia and you're in, you know, this evil company's headquarters escape before dawn. And it was about people being connected to each other and trying to encourage role like slightly vaguely pvp role play um going not everyone's gonna get out of this night alive type thing and that's literally the most that i can tell you off the top of my head about it no that makes (laughs) sense i also struggle to remember anything of games i made like even a year ago yeah, there, there are some that are a bit more sharp in my mind. But I think that one I've also kind of gone, I'm glad that I made it. I did some tidying to kind of make some bits make more sense after I play it with some friends. Um, but it's not it's not one that I hold up and I go, look at these things that I made. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's understandable. That's interesting to me because uh, you said it was like card based. Um, I guess I was wondering in that sense, you know, given your introduction was D and D, before you began um, publishing yourself, had you already at that point gone on a, a journey of discovering much of the weirder indie scene? I'm trying to figure out like when that happened for me like discovering more indie stuff so I think I must have found a a variety of indie games in 2019 solely because I remember being I remember looking at games and buying games and like occasionally like playing different stuff with friends and going oh I fully don't understand the appeal of solo tabletop games. There are a lot of solo tabletop games coming up when I'm looking through these searches. I don't understand the appeal of them. And I remember thinking that solely because 2020 then happened and I got heavily into solo <laughs> tabletop games. Um, so I must have been looking at stuff most likely on itch um, in 2019. Um, and I know that like, me and my friends before that point oh of course sorry I'm (laughs) this is where I kind of like realize I'm forgetting over stuff um when oh gosh when did we start doing it I think late 2017 um 
because I was staging tabletop games as theatre, I started running a monthly night, which was like non-D&D games, basically, was the thing. It was like indie games as theatre. So it was it was your Ten Candles, your Dreads, Wizard Cops, Lady Blackbird, um, some like Grant Howitt one-pages, um, as well as Warrior Poet things like that uh, my little pony um and that was how i basically searching for games that would make sense to do as like that kind of monthly alt night that i was like ah i see how this could like work well with um a group of people on stage that was kind of how i approached indie games as well because I remember being introduced to stuff like Ten Candles and going, oh my God, it's so it's so theatrical. Like recording the messages at the beginning, playing them back at the end, by the point you've forgotten that they existed, as well as the whole lighting setup. Um, yeah, so actually, yeah, from like 2017 onwards, I was kind of looking at indie games and trying to find interesting stuff there. Yeah, and often specifically with the approach of how can this be taken to the stage? Yeah. So there there are obviously some games where because of the physical components, they make a lot of sense. Like Dreads, Ten Candles, they have that clear physical thing that is either like such a palpable representation of the tension in Dread or it's just like very kind of atmospheric with the candles. And then sometimes it would be stuff like okay so we've got wizard cops it's a really fun silly conceit let's just also give everyone like sunglasses and like badges and just go really kind of campy and silly with it and we've got like red and blue uh lights that we can do for when the wizard cops are in town um granted i don't know because like that was six years ago I don't know how I would approach staging a game even that is even very jokingly involves cops now yeah. uh, or or if I would even do it at all <laughs> uh, yeah no that makes sense I can see it swapping to wizard something else <laughs> yeah looking for some other wizardy fun um but yeah, it's it was still pretty heavily like going. What do I find interesting from a from a theatrical or a physical point of view? But I think that's also just partially partially that's to do with the kind of games I like. Like there is something really interesting about games that have that physical, tangible element to them that I really like. Yeah, thinking about um the games you've made you've made some games that are often aping very sort of specific genre experiences i've read your game the andromeda ward which is you know really aping garth marenghi which is two for two marenghi references on on this podcast uh you've done (laughs) things about sitcoms you have your like superhero saying trilogy and i guess i was wondering when you are approaching something i guess with the starting point of what does Garth Marenghi look like in an RPG or et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you often look at as the most sort of important 
things to be translating from one medium to another. Um, I mean, to a degree, it depends on the specific medium. Um, I think obviously, because like with, for instance, Garth Marenghi, it's like it's so heavily about tone. It kind of almost with Garth Marenghi, it's almost less about what you're doing and more about how you're doing it because you need to be doing it shoddily. <laughs> um essentially um any polish think, can get the fuck out yeah yeah absolutely um and i think with garth Marenghi's dark place like when i was kind of taking a lot of cues from that the point where i was like ah i know what this game is is when i was like okay if you have a skill and you take an action that uses that skill you roll your dice if you have a skill and you use it in a way that makes absolutely no sense for that skill, then you roll with advantage. Um, because it's, it's you know, it's dark place, so it makes much more sense to, you know, shoot a gun in order to move a series of cardboard boxes around out of the way than it does to shoot a gun to actually hurt someone. Um, yeah, yeah. You should always be asking why. Why did you use the shovel? Yeah, <laughs> and with other things, I think it's. I don't know when I made like the Fatality Force, which was uh, inspired by the Suicide Squad, specifically James Gunn rather than the other version. Um, that came more from a place of just seeing the film and being like, ah, oh, I want to. I got her. I got hung up on the idea of um, polka dot man and how he's throwing out polka dots and how that's almost a little bit like throwing your dice. Um, I got got hung up on the idea of like, wouldn't it be nice if like when I'm rolling my dice, it's to do something in character that has that same physicality to it. Um, And so fatality force, whilst it's technically a suicide squad inspired game, because it's still that thing of like, it has, the ridiculous like kind of kaiju-esque endpoint monster it has it's written in a very specific voice um with a very kind of like flippant tone um and it also kind of the the nature of the powers and the super villains slash superheroes that are at the center of it is a similar tone to the james gunn movie of like this person has kind of stupid powers but they can be fun in certain contexts the actual starting point for that one was okay how can i give everyone a a core mechanic that um physically mirrors what their character does so it feels like you're physically doing that um so to be honest i think like for me like it's what's like a really fun mechanic that kind of suits this world or this game and then so much of it is for me just because I mean like it's something that I love is the color the tone the fluff around it um you know it's fun just writing lists of abilities for like a merengue inspired game that's just like climbing hand-to-hand combat crabs etc um that feels like a very meandering answer no that's really interesting Uh, it's also making me think about i didn't mention that like the the print of the andromeda ward is laid out like a 
stapled script, which I think ties into a lot of the stuff you're talking about with physicality. Like, I imagine being mm. someone running that and passing it around has this feel almost like you're being pulled in a in a bit of a sort of immersive direction. Yeah, I like there. There are some beautifully designed books out there. Um, I mean, like probably top of the list has got to be something like Thousand Year Old Vampire um, that that feel like objects. And I love there's a brilliant game called um, This Person Should Not Exist or This Man Should Not Exist. Oh, uh, yes. Which is, it's all about basically wrecking a copy of Where's Wally. Uh, and it's it's so much fun working with like a physical, actual thing. Um, and my latest kind of like obsession slash focus is like 70s 80s style textbooks um like school like, textbooks like school textbooks academic textbooks just like that very kind of 70s 80s aesthetic of like slightly muted ugly colors um and blocky text on the outside and everything looks like a little bit shitty oh. um and the idea of having a textbook like I, I released a game called Bridge um, that was about uh, traveling to different universes. So around this point is when Chloe and I got disconnected. Um, we lost each other for maybe about 10 or so minutes then we were able to re-establish the connection so we'll fade back into the resumed chat and there's just a bit where we try and find our place again. Apologies about that. Yeah, so we just got uh, <laughs> disconnected for a while, um, confusingly. So I'm not sure how Save the Recording did. It definitely got to the end of that question. I don't know if you cut off midway through or whether you end and then there's just a thing where as an uncomfortable silence as we both realise we can't hear the other. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do like a, a quick recap of where? Anything? Yeah, where were we at the end? Uh, we were talking about, I think we were talking about, like, uh, I can't remember if we were talking about translating, um, like, certain, like, genres, vibes, media into games, or whether we were at making things physical. I think, actually, where we were, now I remember, is I think you're talking about this person doesn't exist. And then that's when I got disconnected. Um... Yeah, so I mean, yeah, if I was talking about this person doesn't exist, um, that's a really great game where you're kind of wrecking a, a Where's Wally book because it's your, um, it's like your file of evidence of some cosmic series of events and this horrible harbinger of doom that is represented by Wally. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just find it really fascinating games that manage to present themselves as other things. So I've messed around with games that just look like kind of forms and paperwork, where it's just like if you're filling out paperwork about a weird expedition a la Annihilation, what story can be told? And also how can you make that something that still has like a lot of scope for different things to happen um, through that form and through that medium? And then, yeah, the, the 70s textbooks and all that kind of stuff. 
I just find it really exciting when you can find games that just slot into the world in different ways. That is really fascinating. Jumping back to actually something uh, you mentioned before, you were talking about like the sort of irreverent authorial voice of the fatality force. Um, do you feel like you have a consistent authorial voice or do you think it is like you consciously change up to best suit the project? Um, I think, I think it changes with projects. I actually like asked friends on social media a few months back, like, how would you describe my brand? Um, because I can't really describe it. That's that's one of the issues I have from like a more of a businessy or a marketing side is that I just make whatever game I'm interested in. Um, I do. I remember the first. Oh, sorry. Oh no no go ahead. I was gonna say I remember the first time we met. We were introduced by our mutual friend Poe, um, who mentioned that I did games as well. And I think one of the first things you asked me was like, do you know how you describe what you do or like the games you make? Because I can't. Mm. Oh, you have such a good memory. I, I remember <laughs> sitting in the theatre around like in the little booth and stuff that night, but I do not remember the content. Of I'm surprised <laughs> I have memory from that night. <laughs> um, yeah, I find that a really hard thing to do because some people, you look at their games and you go, oh, I see. Like, it's it's quick, it's chaotic, it's fun, it's schlocky, it's lots of different types of that. Or it's, oh, this is really considered emotional, yet wrapped up in a fantastical setting kind of stuff, etc. Um, and for me, like, sometimes it'll be very emotional and kind of stripped back and eerie and sometimes it will be now let's just blow things up and be really stupid and have hands made out of hammers and stuff and from the responses I got from friends like one of them I really enjoyed came up with the term just all one word sweet weird uh, to try and like capture the fact that often like I as a role player really like emotional role play I really like stuff that's about friendships and relationships and that gets very emotional um and has that underlying everything and I think they said sweet weird is the the attempt to kind of capture the fact that I like stuff that has emotion and heart to it but also like bizarro settings and contexts um yeah I I've almost I've like entirely forgotten what the initial question was <laughs> I was talking about authorial voice and I think you answered um, it in terms of it is something that you vary a lot um which is definitely yeah. a skill, but I understand the frustration with that completely. As I think I've settled, like, I think I also feel like a lot of my games are all different. And I feel I settle on saying, like, oh, they're all sort of about alienation and connection. But I'm like, that is kind of me bullshitting about an emergent theme after the fact. Yeah, it's, it's nice to know that other people have that issue as well. Because, <laughs> like, most of the people most of the stuff you see because it's from the people who have their shit together um it, it it all feels kind of cohesive or like their social media voice matches their authorial voice and stuff and that's not me saying that these folks are putting on a performance or putting on some kind of fake voice it's just that everything like flows so well together 
Um, and I mean, I have that like as an issue across the board. I have three different websites because I have one that is just covering the stuff I publish as Royal Flip Draw. There's one that covers the Alongamy strand of projects. And then there's one that is just like, I make theatre and also kind of games sometimes. Um, because it feels so hard to like cohere those into one clear thing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think the voice changes um, a fair bit just depending on what the game is. That's also because I I like I like games that sound like they're from a very specific person or or sound like they're written by a fictional character. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand that. Like a lot of your games that I've read often do have this sort of uh, specificity to the to the voice that I think is is very strong and I don't know at least to me is often more interesting than something super removed and uninvolved yeah yeah like I, I recently got I've been waiting for this for a couple of years I got a copy of Slug Blaster um, which I support on Kickstarter and it has so many fun bits of that source book because basically it's about the idea that you're all playing teens um who are really into like a kind of a teen subculture where people are in little groups gangs crews you can get um you can get sponsorship and people have rivalries and you know you all get involved in this and parents maybe don't approve of it except the subculture is about skateboarding through interdimensional portals and it's it has like really lovely bits and pieces in the source book whether that's kind of fake posters of like this is your brain on slug blasting with the whole like cracked egg motif from the I don't know, like 80s 90s abbot um yeah i think it's a dare thing or something yeah um to to having like little kind of notes in the margins and commentary and it just it really captures like that whole yeah we're part of a cool subculture and all of the slang it uses also yeah there's um a MacGuffin and co game i think it is and i want to say it's called it's not code zero it's not it's something zero void void zero zero void it's either void zero or zero void um it's a really cool uh kind of like sci-fi um setting and they have loads of like in-world slang uh like little uh like vocabularies of in-world slang and stuff written down and it's just such nice texture for the world and for the game yeah there's something like almost tactile about that even though i'm talking about saying that is is text and language yeah um, are you a big reader much? I was as a kid, and then I wasn't really in my 20s, and then about three, four years ago, I got back into reading. So I now I now consider myself a, a moderate reader, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. A, a medium-sized reader. Yeah, yeah, a medium-sized reader. Do you feel like stuff from more sort of, um, you know, prose books, which are usually by their nature not interactive, do you feel that informs much of um, what you do in either theatre or in in games, just in terms of 
I guess maybe thoughts about prose, word choice, or um, atmosphere creation. Yeah, I mean, it, it it depends on the the writer, obviously. But like, there's a really beautiful book of short stories that I read, um, kind of like dipped in and out of last year, called "How Long Till Black Future Month" by N.K. Jemison. Um, who's kind of a fan like science fantasy sci-fi etc writer like lots of nebulas lots of lots of hugos um and what i really love about well i love many things about her her writing but she also does do really really cool things with structure for her short stories for instance there's one short story i can't remember this is actually i think this is the one i'm going to reference that's not in that book um (laughs) but it's written as the text for like a poster or an advert about um, a new housing estate or a new housing program. Um, and if, if anyone wants to like, it's, it's available online. If, if you're listening to this and you want to go read it, go read it. Cause I'm about to basically spoil what it is. And it's really fun <laughs> yeah, to see it unfold. Like yeah. come back. It'll take you 10 minutes max to read. Um, who knows how long to find cause I'm not giving you a title. Um, <laughs> But basically, you read this, and it's it's initially kind of setting like up, oh, you're gonna anyone who's looking for cheap, affordable housing, this is the place to come. You're gonna get all of these um, resources, all of these amenities. It's gonna be great. And then you get to the terms and conditions, and it's only through the terms and conditions they're like, oh, I see. You sign up to this thing, you let a rich person use your body for ninety years as housing as a resource etc as a vehicle and that is your payment essentially and after the 90 years then you get to live in a nice place um and it's just the way that it's set up she also has some in the in the short story that are kind of through like a message forum postings the story is told through that format that's a really beautiful one that hits very hard like post lockdowns um there's also ones where the chapters are out of order um and like she does some really interesting stuff kind of structurally but also just the worlds that she creates you kind of they're the ones where you're like oh i want to play a game in that world she has a short story called um the city born great where the concept is that kind of like legendary cities like atlantis for instance are cities that have just grown to such a size that they become a living functioning thing and they have to be kind of midwifed into being a living thing and if that fails then the city you know it's going to close in on itself it's going to collapse it's going to fall to pieces and disappear and be left a legend and new york city in the story is just at that point where it needs the midwife it needs the person who can take it through and you like accompany the midwife during the process of the city being born great and the way things are described and what's happening you're like yeah i want to i want to play that game where i get to like help midwife a city into into cosmic greatness um so i say absolutely uh like non interactive and non-gaming kind of media and literature definitely informs me um when i'm 
thinking about games or just like need a bit of inspiration. Yeah, that's that sounds all really fascinating as well. I um I think the only thing I've read from NK James is a weird pull probably, um, but she did a um Green Lantern, like a twelve issue Green Lantern comic set on a city where emotion was outlawed like um ages ago and so the drugs the the drug trade is realistically all about like patches that allow people to experience emotion very briefly um yeah that's interesting yeah but um that just reminded me of that because it's it's stumbled out my words there but yes that reminded me of that yeah yeah i think she something she does that's quite nice is just take take things that feel normal or familiar and then match them up with something strange so the fact that it's like emotions being outlawed so you have like drugs but it's for emotions there's a story called stone hunger which is about people who feed off of just matter so it's about like how how worlds and how places taste to them and it's, it's kind of yeah very interesting um but yeah, I think she's she's probably just like top of my mind just because I really utterly love her work right now, um, both from like a kind of structural thing and from a world building perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. An interesting thing I found talking um, to other designers and I guess thinking about my own process is a different role music sometimes plays in things. Does music and listening to music is that much part of your process or like either for inspiration or do you write to music or do you write in silence i i i rarely do anything in silence (laughs) (laughs) um yeah same yeah i'm the kind of person who will put on a single song and just listen to it on a loop which i know for some people makes total sense and for other people is just like why would you do that because it's the same song for hours um in terms of well music is one of the areas where I really like envy other people because the thing is I'm not a big video gamer like I play odds and sods often kind of like weird indie bits on steam and stuff like that rather than say triple a titles and the, my friends who run games that I play in who are video gamers have this huge library in their brains and also like actually on their laptops or their phones of incredible soundtracks like they will they will pull the most beautiful and apt orchestral instrumental music for moments in games and they'll be like this is so beautiful where's it from and they'll go oh it's from this edition of this game it's the theme when this thing happens etc um and i don't have that as readily at my fingertips and I can't I really wish I did um in terms of anything I was like I have some games that are like directly inspired by songs because it's just that I've listened to that song so much that I'm like I really love that aspect of it I love its tone or I really like that lyric that lyric sounds like a mechanic um but I think it's it's very like it's not a deliberate part of my process or anything. It's very chance based. Uh, whether it's just this happened to catch me. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
pulling inspiration from what's around you. Did you listen much to the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark soundtrack by while working on Get Me Pictures of Spider-Man Turn Off? Get Me Productions of Spider-Man is the name, right? Yeah, br- b- bring me productions of Spider-Man, brackets, turn off the dark. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was that all very... the time? Um, I think that's the one case where it's like, it's just, it's wiser for your health and well-being to not listen to lots of that. <laughs> um, I yeah. have listened. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of those songs on repeat. And the I, I I have one on my phone because there is one where you can get an official recording on iTunes, um, but I didn't. It wasn't something that I listened to while making it. I did listen to the um to like four tracks from the Suicide Squad soundtrack over and over and over, making Fatality Force. That makes I remember sense. that very. That was very vivid, but that's also because I tried to make that game. I was making it in five days because weirdly the film got released in the UK before America. So I was like, I've I've seen the film. It gets released in America in like five days. It would be really good if I could have this ready to go the moment it's released in America. So I was just at other jobs, like waiting for rehearsals to start or stuff like that, just on my laptop with the music to just like focus in on it. Yeah, that makes sense, and I guess almost as a sort of focusing thing there. Yeah. See, actually, thinking about um, Spider-Man or Bring Me Productions of Spider-Man, that's, you know, a a very sort of concrete merging of theatre and games as it's focusing on creating uh, production in there. Would you like to talk a little more about that? Is that one of the games which has maybe been the most explicit thrust of that combination for you? I think it's it. I think it must be the most explicit. You probably don't get more explicit than like third part is just literally find what you can and stage your production after having like written it, rehearsed it, etc. Um, so it probably it probably is, and I think it kind of like something that's always been really big for me and it's one of the reasons why I enjoyed tabletop games in the first place especially coming from like interactive and immersive theatre that often purports to be like you're going to be involved you're going to be a participant you're going to get to do stuff you get to like affect what happens or like choose your story um having come from a background of of that and you can probably tell from my tone what I make of some of those claims um (laughs) and then coming to tabletop role-playing where it's like oh no we are we are genuinely making this together we are genuinely telling the story together this genuinely is a collaborative process with everyone involved um that's something that I've always been really receptive to and I've always enjoyed the kind of implicit inherent thing for me in tabletop games that it tells everyone that their input is worthwhile and that them as storytellers are worthwhile and that's like what I saw with a lot of the live shows um with people who were first-time players who like had that moment where they suddenly realized they could actually just like say what they wanted to do and they could suggest anything etc and that would be like responded to um and so that's always like kind of at the heart of games for me and so i guess um spider-man gaming production spider-man is partially like a very explicit thing of that but it's also that for me a big part of those games is then going okay how do you 
what additional things can you do to get people to believe that they're good role they're good storytellers or they're good role players or that their creativity is valued and I think there's something really nice about ending with okay you're now going to put on your show and also because of the framing of it it's fine if it's shit yeah it's also it will, have, bit... it will have a lower injury count probably than the actual turn off the dark so yeah um it will make more sense most likely <laughs> um as well like that probably sounds like a bit contradictory me being like you'll you have worth as a storyteller versus it's fine if it's shit um i, I but... think those are often two of the same sides though like like your worth as a storyteller and that very i to me that does carry with it the sense that like polish and perfection and stuff is not what brings that worth yeah that's a really nice way to put it um because yeah it's it's i think that's also one of the other things about what when i was saying earlier about the the barrier of entry or the kind of love of entry for tabletop games with theater you've got kind of like you've got amateur dramatics and you've got professionals and you've got like the whole thing where sometimes community and drum stuff is looked down upon um and it's also super rarefied to actually be a professional uh, in various ways and across various like spectrums and such like but with tabletop games yes you do have like professional gms or professional players and professional productions and stuff but it feels like it is a space that is much more accepting of it it can just be people having fun and that is that is a legitimate uh that is be like the big bulk of the industry slash community um and it's it's nice that the core thing because okay so obviously the dragon game there are lots of issues there and I'm not going to get into like all the potential issues that can be taken with the dragon game but as someone coming from a theatre background where sometimes like people purport to give audiences agency when they actually don't trust audiences to use that agency so they kind of end up patronising them controlling them, basically misleading them opening up, I think it's the player's handbook and it's saying right at the very beginning right from the top <laughs> on the one hand, I get it. It's a cop out to say this about your rule set. <laughs> on the other hand, the fact that it goes right at the top, the most important thing is your fun. Like, if these rules aren't supporting your fun, you can flex them, you can get rid of them, you can homebrew stuff. The, the, the core thing here, the rule number one that is the immutable rule is have fun. That's such a fucking brilliant thing <laughs> and um just anything that kind of like feeds into that that supports people and having fun that makes them feel less pressured to like be good at storytelling or be an amazing role player and just actually do something fun that can also be shitty because that's not the important metric here and like you said, like polish and perfection and such, such like that's not the point. Yeah, absolutely. That's really insightful. I feel. I realised uh, there was something I didn't ask, which I usually ask because we were talking about um, 
university earlier and I guess it's what what did you study when you were at uni I studied philosophy um, so you didn't study theatre sorry is that an invasive question no no it's not invasive at all like I, I, I've already been very open I didn't get into drama school uh, so I, I studied philosophy because um, I started doing it in sixth form and my perspective then was what's gonna not bore me for three years because you're at school and you're doing like at least five like four or five different subjects and you're studying them for a year and then it's like oh you're gonna study one thing for three years I was like oh fuck like yeah what if I'm gonna go to university what's gonna actually what am I still gonna find interesting after that much time spent on it yeah I I I work as a teacher now and so help kids like part of my main job is like helping kids do their UCAS thing and I had one kid um who wanted to study film and they're like and their dad kept uh oh they should also try and apply for law because they'd be good at it and I had to keep being like both to the child more frequently because I'd said this to the dad multiple times it just seemed to wash off like um law's really hard uh don't do it for three years if you if you don't enjoy that, like, she'll wash out because sh- she doesn't care about law. Um, yeah. Eventually, I was like, just, just, just go rogue, do a rogue application. <laughs> nice. Yeah, pr- precisely. Um, fortunately, like my parents, because of their, their uh, some of their own experiences with like parents, siblings, seeing people being made to do stuff that wasn't their heart wasn't in it they've always been pretty supportive I mean often baffled like I'm not saying that they understand really what I do but they 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 understand that it's what I want to do and that it's important to me (laughs) sounds like a really patronizing way of putting it like Chloe wants to do it it's very important to them (laughs) Um, yeah like and I think they were just I think part of them was happy that I wasn't gonna do drama school to be honest they're probably happy that I was gonna go to university instead um but yeah so philosophy um I think the stuff that I studied like a it made me think a lot more in terms of like systems I kind of noticed that when I was working in theatre I would often come across a lot of like directors who had studied English lit like that was the most common thing it felt for directors to have studied rather than philosophy and it felt like English lit directors approach things from a sense of like scenes acts beats in a scene like that kind of linear structure and I would approach things from like oh no well if this character says this that means xyz is true of the world cool and it was much more of like a kind of world building thing before I knew the term world building um and also I think like there's certain preoccupations that I have that probably trace back to like the curious thing of like the mind body problem or like how your mind relates to your body and like having done art like essays on identity at university or having sessions on time travel at university and things like that there were only a few but it was still really cool that that was like part of the curriculum um <laughs> I just, on time travel yeah I disagreed thoroughly with what was being said about time travel but the hard thing about time travel is it's very difficult to have concrete disagreement on 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a disagreement purely about vibes and trust me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just let's disagree about vibes. Um, but then again, the, the coolest job title I've ever had is time travel consultant which was for a show that was dealing in time travel and wanted me to come up with like how it was going to get described in world and what type of time travel we were going to have. Oh, you, you uh, also have a the time travel heist game, which I'm that working was... on the name of. A time heist. Time heist. That, I should have that been was... able to guess that. <laughs> no, that's... that's... <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> time heist was genuinely one of the reasons I got that. I was asked to do that job. Okay. They were like, we, they were out looking for a time travel expert. They were like, we know Chloe from some other things, but Chloe has also evidently done a lot of thinking about time travel, <laughs> mechanizing time travel, describing it, etc. Um, so yeah, I think it's things like that that that's kind of really stuck with me from from philosophy philosophy yeah i did say that right for a moment i was like i've said the word wrong but i think that's just my brain like crumbling um yeah it's, it's kind of it's a really good i think it's a really good subject for thinking about overall structure and to be honest like you're doing a lot of logic stuff which helps sometimes with approaching mechanics and things like mm. that um so there's, there's kind of bits and pieces even if i'm not like doing games that are about Hume versus AJ Ayer or whatever. <laughs> um, Even if you're not putting them in the gladiatorial ring of combat, there's there's still that influence. Yeah, yeah. There's there's still those bits and pieces that kind of trickle through. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I think I will draw us to a close here. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. I enjoyed this conversation immensely. Are you able to talk about anything that you are working on at the moment? Um, bits and pieces. So I'm, I'm first going to say thank you for having me because I'm worried I will forget if I don't say it now. And it's, it's also been a really lovely conversation on my end. Um, thinking about stuff that I haven't in absolute years. Um, in terms of things I'm working on now that I can talk about... Um, Oh gosh, yeah, there is not a huge amount that I'm allowed to currently talk about. Um, so there's a few tabletop games that I'm kind of very slowly, it's like a slow and steady thing of developing. One of them has been in the works for a little while now and it's called Lawbreakers, but law spelled L-O-R-E. Mm. Um, see what I did there? Um, which is essentially the idea is one division but make it tabletop so it's it's made as a four session game where a group of characters uh are moving through different you play the same characters through different classic tabletop settings and realities and over the course of the game you're trying to figure out you're trying to first realize that something weird is even happening and then you're trying to figure out wait I'm sure that I've heard someone say the same thing, but in a cyberpunk world, why are we now high fantasy? Haven't I also seen you in like a cosmic horror somewhere before, etc. That's fun. But, like yeah. Dorothy realizing mid Oz, oh, you were you were here. Yeah, and it, it's it's one that I've playtested, and it's been really fun fun to playtest because 
the flexibility of it has meant that when a player hasn't been able to attend a session, I've been able to like record their voice and have them as like a glitch in the system or something like that. Ah. Of like, well, this. Oh wait, there's a person we forgot about. Yeah, that person exists. Um, so yeah, working on Lawbreakers, there's a lot that I'm kind of developing and hoping to have as something that people can uh, buy tickets for once kind of Halloween comes around because that's Transmission, which is my loosely put my haunted teletext lot, um, which is a lot of fun. I've been playtesting that and basically you pretend to be friends isolated during the Great Storm of 1987, but then teletext starts broadcasting in the middle of the blackout and it's kind of me on a homemade teletext emulator doing a lot of bits and pieces uh but having a a huge amount of fun with it and aside from that i don't it's it's really annoying because there's some potentially very cool stuff uh but that also sounds like a really like jerk thing to say (laughs) where can people find you and follow you and pay attention to you so they know when you are allowed to talk about this cool stuff uh, pe- people can pay attention to me at um, <laughs> um, I'm Chloe Mushter on Twitter I think I'm Chloe Mushter on Instagram, I'm still comparatively new there um, which is why I don't know off the top of my head I'm Roll Flip Draw on Itch um, there's also rollflipdraw.co.uk there's Chloe Mushter makes things dot wordpress dot com <laughs> because uh, I refuse I refuse to pay money for that one so it still has the WordPress suffix um, I think that covers most of the places there is uh, if you go to rollflipdraw.co.uk there is a um, mailing list where normally every month but if things are a bit quieter it'll be every few months because I I'm not going to send out mail outs if I don't have something to say <laughs> I'm not going to just spam people with stuff for the sake of regularity but that's a good place to keep up with what I'm doing and there's also alongamy.com which is where there's updates about the alongamy project which is much more kind of LARP meets theatre etc stuff Uh, because I will be doing future versions of the shield and torch which was the kind of fantasy tavern LARP that I was running but uh, just currently looking over money and funding for that one yeah the the old chestnut thank you so much once again um and i'm still working out sign offs for this series but for tonight i'll try good night cruel world